Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 21 through 26. This is the word of the Lord. And they strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If any would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting a new series, and... Um... I thought it was amazing that our brother who gave the congregational prayer said that he's actually excited to the start of a series who's enti- which is entitled uh, Suffering and, and, and the Cross. I mean, um, he must be very godly. <laughs> he must be very godly. He, he's excited about a sermon series called Suffering and the Cross. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a long series. Um, I've been um, planning about five messages, and it'll take us through Easter and a couple weeks thereafter. And um, I don't know about you, I'm actually just, you know, not, not that our biblical justice series wasn't good, it's, 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 it was good, okay, but it was hard on me, right? And uh, it was very hard on me, I'm really glad to um, shift gears, and I want to shift gears and get right into the center of our faith. We're coming to Easter. We're getting to the center of our faith. If you get to the center of the faith, you're talking about the cross. You're talking about the resurrection. And um, if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you never, ever get tired of this. should never get old. And if you, are not, if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is a good series to find out what do these weird people call, who call themselves Christians actually believe? Um, a lot of people think that what Christians believe has something to do with going to church or being cleaned up or like being a Republican, which is like the worst. <laughs> That's not what Christianity is about. This stuff we're going to talk about is getting at the core. And, and I want to just say a little something else with a little bit of intro. Um, a lot of these messages wrestle with the question of suffering. Suffering and losing, loss. And um, we live in a, in a society that's not very good at dealing with suffering. In fact, we are deeply afraid of suffering. And we try to set up everything in life to avoid it at all costs. And I want to talk about that a bit in today's message. And, and this thing that Jesus says is radically the opposite of that attitude. <laughs> it's completely... The opposite of that attitude. And so I just want to just start with this. I know this might not be the most appealing thing to hear if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But um, I'm just going to say this right to you for those of you who do consider yourself a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christian life without suffering. No such thing. Absolutely no such thing. Jesus calls you right into suffering. He calls you into it. And so, the good life, according to God, of eternal life, 
is, is the invitation and the command to embrace suffering in, in this life. Okay, so those of you who don't believe in Jesus, you're like, whoa, I don't know if this is for me. I hope that there's something inside of this message today that could help you see why that might be good. And why that might um, be attractive and worth it. Okay, that's the intro. Let's get into it. Part one, your cross versus the no suffering good life. That's what I'm going to call it. Your cross, not Jesus, yours versus the no suffering good, scare quotes, good life. That's part one, okay? Part two, saving your life by losing it. There's a verse in here. Jesus says a really weird, mysterious thing. Part two, saving your life by losing it. And then I want to close part three by talking about the radical, jealous love of God. The radical, jealous love of God. You ever think about this? God's got a radical love. It's a big love. It's a jealous love. Okay? I want to talk about that. Let's get into part one. Um, let's, let's start this, this passage. Verse 22 I just want to get to verse 22. Um, verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that's himself, by the way. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Old Testament title that's referencing the one who's going to be human, who's going to judge the whole world, and who's going to heal the world. And the Son of Man, and he, you know, he's, he's basically saying, This is me must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now just let me stop for a little moment and say something about this. The Son of Man must suffer. Very simple phrase. Christians have heard this. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this many, many times. But I just really want to emphasize this. He must suffer. And um, so... Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, every now and then you go to, off to seminary and certain things stick in your head. Okay, there's this great English scholar, I'll tell you who he is, blah, 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 you, you won't remember anyway. But he said this phrase that the Gospels, that is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that, that uh, focus on the ministry of Jesus, this is always stuck in my mind. He says, they are long introductions to the cross. That's the way he put it. They're long introductions to the cross. And as Jesus goes through his ministry, he says this three times to his disciples. It's recorded. He says this. The Son of Man must suffer. He says the, all the important people in our society, the chief priests, the scribes, chief, okay, they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to reject me. And um, up to this point, they all thought that they're following a winner. The Messiah is going to be the king. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to bring peace and justice to the land. The Romans are oppressors. The Romans are murderers. The Romans have a gross religion. We're the chosen people of God. We have been oppressed. God has promised a leader. He's going to come and heal the world. 
and the oppressive wicked people he will destroy. And so here's this guy, Jesus. He preaches like nobody's ever preached. And then crazy stuff happens I've never seen. Blind guy, born blind. Now he can see. (laughs) He does crazy things. Prostitutes show up at dinner parties. And he offends the leaders, but he's kind to the prostitutes. Just just crazy stuff is happening. Um, there uh, There was a girl, and she died, and then he made her come to life. Uh, there was a guy named Lazarus, who was Jesus' buddy. He died, he made him go to life. He offends people. There was a day when um, we were in a boat, and then we saw this guy walking in the water. It was him. <laughs> okay. So, they see all these things. The masses show up because they want to see these things. They have hurts and wounds. They want to hear the words. They want to receive the miracles. So, everything that you can see, a huge following is happening. The crowds are amassing. This guy's a winner. This guy's a winner. He's it. This, this, he's this, he's got to be it. <laughs> but then he says this really weird stuff. The Son of Man must suffer, rejected, die. And so while they're here, there's a program. Mm, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> I don't understand that part. You're the winner. We're following a winner. <laughs> we have these debates. Who's going to sit at the right hand of the king? That's like saying, who gets to be secretary of state? Who gets to be secretary of defense? Do you know? When all the most important leaders sit at the dinner table, who gets to sit here? That's the conversations they like to have. You know, these are conversations of people who are interested in a winner and closer to the winner. You get that? That's what they thought. But he says this, the Son of Man must suffer. It gets worse. It gets worse. Let's go to the next verse. Okay. Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. <laughs> um, if you are a Christian, you can serve as a follower of Jesus. You should memorize this verse. You should memorize this verse. You should think about this verse often. And you should think about it, especially as we come to Good Friday and Easter. And you should think about it, especially when you think about the meaning of your life and how your life is generally looking to be a winner. You want to find a winner, be a winner, because you and I are exactly the same as these guys who decided Jesus is the ultimate winner. And I want to sit at the best seat next to the winner. I'll be rich. I'll be famous. I'll get to live in a great house. People will think I'm important. I'll have great status and importance. In, in, in our government, among our people, I'll be adored because I'm close to the ultimate winner and thus I'm a winner. 
That's their story. That's the, they think this is their story in following Jesus. And Jesus instead says this. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. There's a, he says this multiple times. Um, in some of the other gospels, it says take up your cross and then follow me. Here it says something very interesting. Take up your cross daily and follow me. There's both. So I want you to say a little something about this first. Um, in this first century time, you have to understand what the cross is. Um, the cross is basically the most horrible thing that's ever truly been invented. It is the most disgusting, horrendous piece of torture that the world has ever seen. It isn't just because the person physically is just tortured to, to death in the most gruesome, horrible way. It is utter humiliation. You have these pictures of Jesus, and he's standing up there, and you know, he wears this little loincloth around here. That's not how it was. He's not wearing a little, that's, that's the PG, rated PG version that artists depict because the real thing, if you actually painted that, nobody would want to buy your painting. You're stripped naked and they nail you up there after they've whipped you and beaten you and then you're mocked. You're mocked. You're humiliated to say you're so disgusting that everybody is now invited to come up here to spit on you and mock on you, throw you, throw things at you. And then you don't die. You die by like slowly suffocating. And anybody can come and mock you until you die. That's the purpose. The purpose is the rejection and the humiliation. So if Jesus wants to basically oppose the question of, you want to be a winner. There's no more horrible way than to basically say, this whole desire that you want to be a winner in life, uh-uh, that's not how it's going to work. That's not how it's going to work. So, Pastor, this is a great message. I just really want to follow Jesus now. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. I'm calling it being a winner. What would your life look like if you became a winner? I can guess because I've been a pastor for a lot of years. Plus, I'm like so holy I would never have the same desires as you, right? <laughs> of course not. I'm just... Like you, I'm just like these guys. So I have my own, I have my own worldly desires for how to be a winner. And so there's a narrative, and I'll tell you what is probably something you already know. This narrative has not changed for a long time. It was a narrative when I was a kid. The narrative that's going on today, and it just continues. Just, you could just tweak and adjust the narrative a little bit. It's like maybe 20 years ago, you know, you know, 20 years ago, you just wanted to, you know, become an investment banker to join a startup company. 
Okay, that, that, that's a minor tweak. Who cares about that part? That part's boring. <laughs> that, that, that the part that matters is you got to latch yourself to the winner so you could be a winner. So you, you go and you uh, work hard, you study hard, you go to a good college. That proves that you're smart. <laughs> you're well on your way to the winner's track. Some of you are very intense. You have to get into, like, not just a good college. You have to get into, like, Stanford or something, <laughs> okay? So that you're, you're especially intense, okay? I know what you're like because I was just like you, okay? And so if you don't get into Stanford, you're a loser, <laughs> and your life is already breaking. Some of you are like that. That's really, really dumb, by the way, but that's what you believe, okay? And then you just, 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 just some of you are like, okay, Berkeley. <laughs> you, know, just, 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 you just draw that line somewhere differently, okay? But it's the same story. It's the same story. The details, are, you just change the details a little bit, but the story is the same story. And then you graduate, and then you get a good job. Some of you are like, no, no, I have to get into the great grad school, and then I'll get into the next great PhD program, or then I'll get the great, okay, whatever, okay? That, again, minor details. Some of you are in school for 12 years. Some are in school for six years. Some are in school for four years, okay? Some of you are like, okay, no, that's, that's for the birds. I'm going to drop out after like one year, just like Bill Gates, and start the company. Minor details, okay? <laughs> but then you're going to become, you're on your way to becoming a winner. And then somewhere along the line, you're going to meet the love of your life. Okay? I mean, it's just going to happen. <laughs> it's just going to happen. You're going to meet the love of your life. And um, you won't get divorced like anybody else. You won't even fight. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> and your kids are going to be, like, beautiful. <laughs> Of course, the person you marry is going to be better looking than you. And, and, and then, of course, hopefully your kids will look more like your, the person you marry, okay, than you. Because <laughs> they're going to look awesome. And they're never going to get sick. None of them are ever going to do drugs. <laughs> None of them are ever going to hate you. <laughs> okay? Or each other. And then, and then your, your name will get bigger and you'll, you'll live in the big house. You, and, and you'll never suffer. <laughs> There'll be no suffering. Minor, maybe minor. You, you, you might break a leg somewhere. You go skiing. <laughs> You're going skiing. You know, it's like the best ski resort. You know, you got good. You, you know, you, and then you broke a leg. Darn it. Some suffering. Okay. Is inconvenient. Darn it. That's a good life. You're like, awesome, Pastor. Can the sermon end now? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good life? You want this life, don't you? But Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Sign me up for that one. <laughs> That's going to be a hard one. Um, now, I just want to start, before I go to part two, I want to say this. Um, I've been 
looking at our culture, and um, this painful thing happened this week. This guy killed a bunch of people. Apparently, a number of them were Asians. And now, everybody's going crazy over that. Okay? Um, there's tremendous division. And, um, and nobody thinks Jesus has any real answers. I don't know the way our culture is going to go when we come out of COVID, but it's probably not going to be good. And I don't think that if you are a, a Christian, once we come out of COVID, you shouldn't be thinking about this no suffering life. I don't even, it's very, very possible you may not get even close to having it, which by the way would be good. That'd be a gift. You know, this, this, this crazy thing that we want to have, this dream, no suffering, beautiful life, beautiful life. Okay, I, I just want to, I don't want to pop your bubble too, but it's, this is basically nonsense. And Jesus is doing us a real favor by popping a hole into this thing. Okay? And one thing I just want to let you know is I think I'm going to be preaching this a while, even after this series. I, I, I've, I've been a pastor for a number of years, and I know everybody but wants this thing, this thing that I just called the no-suffering good life. Everybody comes to the church for the no-suffering good life. You know, churches are built on helping the no-suffering good life, and then they offer Jesus as like a little tweaks. Jesus is like the help to get, you know, so that your kids will behave better. <laughs> Jesus is the help so that your wife won't, like, be so angry with you. Jesus is a good help to give you, like, career tips. And, you know, that's popular. People want to go to church where Jesus helps you to get the no-suffering good life. But it's very, very inconvenient that that's not what he says. And I know that this is the way it is in our culture, but I, I just want to let you know now, if you're in Revive Church, I'm going to go to war with this. I've decided that we, we have to go to a new place. And I can't be nice about this anymore. Jesus sure says isn't nice about it. And we have to think differently about suffering and cost and loss. We have to think differently about it. We have to think differently about it. You have to wake up. You have to desire different things. Uh, so I am asking you to do something completely insane, which is to want the cross, <laughs> Okay? To want the cross. And so I'm going to ask this question, and then let's go to part two. Jesus says you must pick up your cross daily. You know what he's saying? There is a cross for you. In your life, there is a place of call, a calling, where you're called to love somebody so much, it'll cost you. That's what the cross is. Jesus didn't come to go, I'm going to become the winner. <laughs> It'll just be easy. Je the central thing that Jesus came to do to live his life was to embrace his cross. The cross is to love others in such a way that will hurt you bad. <laughs> It'll cost you. You have to lose 
That's the cross. So I want to ask you this question. In your life, what is that? What is that? So try to think about what that is. Your cross to embrace where it's going to cost you. You're going to suffer to love. And think about, can that be the central meaning of your life? Can that possibly be the middle, the central thing in your life as opposed to the no suffering good life? <laughs> so we're, we're all busy trying to build the no suffering good life and then this really, you know, this inter these odd interruptions happens like, you know, your mother-in-law gets cancer. <laughs> it's like, that's annoying. <laughs> you know, your, your, one of your children gets depressed one of your friends, you know, their marriage starts to fail. And if you were to, like, try to really be their friend, they would be burdensome. And would be very interfering with the no-suffering good life. But maybe that's the cross that Jesus is interested in. Maybe. I want you to think about that. Part two, let's go to the next verse. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So I want to ask you this question, okay? You're gonna, let's just say you get your no-suffering good life. You're, you're not, by the way. It's not going to happen. <laughs> okay? Maybe 0.001% of you could get it, and you want that lottery. But let me tell you something. I've known some people who get something kind of like it, and here is what I've seen. I've seen people in the church. They usually believe in Jesus, okay? I've seen it both inside the church and outside the church. So this is really interesting. I'm talking about people who generally get a lot of success. Things have generally, generally worked out. Okay? So you get your dream. You get this life. And then I want you to ask this question. Then what? Then what? You just live happily ever after? You're 35 years old. You got it. Then happily ever after till you die at the age of 95. 65 years after you get it. You get it at the age of 45. You know, 50 more years because you got it. Okay? I'll ask you that. Just question. All right. So I'm actually seeing people who get this. They get some, you know, they, somewhere along the line, they don't want like the, the gigantic house. They kind of go, you know what? You know, I was modest. I wasn't trying to make a million dollars. I just wanted to make, you know, $200,000. <laughs> I didn't need to buy a 5,000-square-foot house in the richest neighborhood. I just have to buy a 2,500-square-foot house in the upper-middle-class neighborhood. My kids don't have to go to Stanford. They could just go to UC Irvine. That's a great school. They'll be rich enough that way. I've, I've met lots of people who've gotten all these things. I've met the Christian version, and I've seen the non-Christian version. Let me tell you something about the Christian version. So they get to middle age. And then you know what they often end up? They haven't been good Christians. They're Christians. 
They haven't been good Christians. You know why they haven't been good Christians? Because Jesus isn't actually in, in the middle of their life. The cross is like mostly fire insurance. And it's not glorious. And they haven't embraced their cross. They've never thought about that. It's like my cross, Jesus has a cross. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm chasing hard. And then after I get it, then I gotta get, help my kids get it. So I've, I've seen a number of people get it. Then something very interesting happens. Your church goes to, you want to go on a mission trip to like a dirt poor place. And then this person who's bored of their life, they go, maybe I should go on that. I want to go to that. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? That's what happens. Some of them, so they're like in their late 40s. They never went on a mission trip. They've listened to lots of different missionaries talking about serving dirt poor people. They were never attracted to that because they're building the no suffering good life. And now they're really, really interested in this other thing. It's totally weird. Why? They can't quite articulate this. They can't quite articulate this. But if their life has deep meaning, it must be expended in such a way that it'll cost. Is that interesting? So for those of you who are very young, so like, who is that? Okay, you're younger than 40, okay? When you get into your 40s, you're going to start getting jaded. <laughs> you're going to find out what the world offers you is a little bit of like kind of a crap dessert. <laughs> There's a poison pill in it. You know why these people are doing this? Because after they get what they want, they go, this is it? Some of the other people who don't believe in Jesus, you know what they do? They kind of go crazy, and then they cheat on their wives and then, you know, then they buy a Ferrari or something really stupid like that. Because they kind of got everything, you know, we call this midlife crisis. Because then all of a sudden they want to go back to all the exciting things that they wish that they did when they were young, but then they didn't get to do, and now they're going to do it because now they can feel their life is getting shorter, so they got to do it. Or maybe they start looking for purpose again, and so they're not a Christian, so then they get more interested in making a difference in their community. It's really interesting. Um, so I'm pushing 50 years old, okay? Um, it's not a boast or anything. It just is, okay? <laughs> and I know that I look so young, and I'm like, how could you be pushing 50? You look like you're about to hit 27, Pastor. Not. You get toward this age, and um, these verses, you realize you better pay attention. You start thinking about there's only so many years left. And when my life is over, I want to know that it was built on the most important thing. The thing that really, really mattered. 
And my king, my savior, got this crazy thing. <laughs> you should pick up your cross daily <laughs> and follow me. <laughs> and I've been thinking about this thing for so many years. It's really getting like a raw, real thing when you start getting into your 40s. And so if you're wise and if you have ears to hear, you're under the age of 40, you should hear this message. You should bookmark this message and come back to it again. Because I'm offering you something to help you, okay? Now, he says this very strange thing. If you gain everything, but you gain the whole world, but you lose yourself, what good is it? And I, I want to let you know what's happening to these middle-aged people. Of course, not all of them feel this way. There are some shallow people. They just... <laughs> One of my friends, he's getting pretty successful in his business. He works with these people that are extremely rich. They, they like built, they, you know, they started companies and they got really rich. And then they get 50 years old, 60 years old, they're worth like $50 million, $100 million. You know what they do again? They just do it again. <laughs> they were $50 million. Let's start another company and then let's do it again. Because they just don't have anything better to do. They own yachts. They've had every vacation. Not anything. So there are some people like that. But they're so bored, this is all they do. But you know what? They're, these other people that I'm talking about, they're realizing there's something inside their life. They got everything they wanted, but they're losing something. They gained everything, but it's kind of like what Jesus is saying. What good is it? You get everything, but then you lose yourself. The Bible says your life is not 80 years or 90 years or 100 years. It's forever. But in this life, you only get a short period of time to discover that. So I'm going to ask you that question. So here's a question I'm going to ask you. This is a really important question. What are you willing to lose? What are you willing to lose in order to gain? What of your life are you willing to lose and suffer in order to gain your life? So this is a really intense question. If you're not a Christian, you're like, this is really intense. Oh my goodness. If you're a Christian, I hope you feel this. If you're a person that likes Jesus having as your Savior, but you don't actually want him to be your life, your full life, this is a really intense question. Because it, it's about this question of your cross and suffering. And if you don't, you're not willing to lose anything inside of your life, you're not willing to risk, you're not willing to suffer, you're not willing to lose, you're only going to just have this kind of shallow life. And then when you're, you're just going to wait and find out you're older and going like, my life is ebbing away and I don't have much. I didn't do much. I got money. I got comfort. That's all I got. Okay? That's where you're going. But Jesus is inviting you something more. And he's inviting you by losing. Wow. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to go to part three, okay? This is 2021. About 10 years ago, I was serving the church out of which Revive was planted. It's a, it's a Korean immigrant church. It's a pretty dysfunctional church, to be honest with you. There's a Korean-speaking congregation and an English-speaking congregation. 
I'm the pastor of the English-speaking congregation. The Korean-speaking congregation is generally older. And in 2010, some, one of the deacons, who's middle-aged, went on a mission trip in a foreign country. And it was like one of the most exciting things he had ever ex- experienced. He saw these people that didn't have much. And he says, I am called to get a chance to love them and to give them Christ and to give them life. It was really exciting. He came back and then he wanted to offer this to the rest of the church. But he knows that a lot of them are small business owners or a lot of them are elderly. They can't be flying to another country. So then he started looking for a short-term mission opportunity where they could go. And so he started talking to one of the retired elders, and the retired elders thought, what about Native Americans? He connected to a missionary, a Korean guy who uh, works with Native Americans, and then that guy connected him to a reservation on the other side of the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. It's called Bishop Paiute Reservation. So then he offered this opportunity to the Korean-speaking congregation, and you know what happened? The old people got really excited. It's not interesting. The old people, basically all the people middle-aged and up got super excited. They made their money. Their kids were growing up. They had had their success. They had varying degrees of suffering in their life, but now... They were excited. So they took this team in a way that I thought was completely ridiculous. <laughs> Without any real plan or preparation or learning or studying, they just like put together this team, went out to this reservation to go do mission and to serve Native Americans. They didn't know anything about them. So they went in 2010. They came back. They said it was really hard. It was super hot. They didn't like us. They rejected us. <laughs> and, uh, but the kids did VBS, and then a bunch of kids got saved. We got to go back. The deacon who led the, 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 he was more practical. He goes, you know, when we go there, a lot of our members don't really speak English very well. <laughs> And it's hard to build a relationship to Native Americans when you don't speak English very well. So then he pulls me aside and said, Pastor, is the English congregation, do you have any plans for short-term mission this year? I said, we don't. And then he said, would you go to bishop with us? (laughs) Because you guys speak English and we don't. Would you go do this with us? Here was my answer. I'll think about it. And I'll tell you what I was thinking. I don't want to do this. (laughs) And then for about a couple months, here's what my prayers were like. Jesus, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. You know how this works. We're going to go to the reservation. They're going to be like, our pastor, he's a good pastor. (laughs) He speaks really good English. He'll be the leader. (laughs) 
You know what that means? It's going to all fall on me. So it's not like I woke up one day and said, Native Americans, oh man, I really want to love them. Oh, poor folks who like have been broken down and have been oppressed by America. I'm sure they're just going to love me and love us. I just want to go there. That's what I want to do. And then I'm going to hang out with a lot of the leaders in the Korean-speaking congregation, and then I have to like improve my Korean, and they're going to have all these plans filled with their righteousness and their good intentions, but probably zero wisdom. Okay, so you can see, you know, see, see what a loving pastor I am? <laughs> this is what was going on in my mind. So Jesus, so when he asked me, when that deacon asked me, you know what I heard? I heard from Jesus saying, you're going to go. <laughs> you know what I, what I said to him? No, I'm not. <laughs> you're going to go. No, I'm not. This was the conversation for a couple months. You're going to go. No, I'm not. <laughs> Those first couple of years of going, I, I gave in because, you know, remember, you know, I'm not confused. He's Lord. I'm not. <laughs> gave in. We made the plans. We took this team. Bunch of folks from the Korean speaking side. From the, it was crazy. It took a, the next couple of years, it got crazier. This team went from like 60 people to 80 people to 120 people. And, you know, you got like all these folks from the Korean-speaking side, from our youth, from the English congregation. It was crazy. We are sleeping on the floor inside of this church. And, and then they just, people would just keep signing up. And I'm like, why, are they, why do they want to come back? <laughs> um, but uh, the reason I kept saying no was, Lord, you know I'm going to be holding the bag. You know, they're going to be excited for about three years or four years or five years. And after the romance of it wears off, they're going to find out that these Native Americans, loving them is hard. And if we're going to do something that matters, we're going to have to love them for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. And he said, do it. Um, many of you don't know this, but um, I just got back from the Native American Reservation last night. So earlier this week, we got news. I heard news, which I didn't know. A woman named Gail Manriquez had passed away. She's Native American. She's 64 years old. She didn't die on the reservation. She died in a hospital in Reno. It's kind of how it happens. They have a pretty good hospital in town, but for somehow, I don't know, the Native Americans, if, like, if their sickness isn't good enough for the, their clinic, which is also on the reservation, they don't go to the hospital that's right in town. They end up going to Reno. Something about the way the insurance works. And so Gail died probably all alone in Reno. I don't know if she died of covid I suspect she might have died of COVID, but she really probably died of loneliness. 
This is common. Gail is a Christian. She really loves Jesus. And we're really close to her grandchildren, Michael, Minnie, and Sa'i. I've known them since they were really little. Michael has a special relationship to Damon. Damon is basically like his spiritual father. When you see them together, it's obvious. They have a very special relationship. It's a God-given thing. It's a God thing, <laughs> okay? They met each other, and it was like God just made them love each other. And Gail deeply loves Jesus, but she knows the kids are totally getting lost. So, uh, going on a little long here. Um, the first couple years, I would go to the reservation. I would go, oh, it's towards summer. I got to go on the reservation. Here we go. <laughs> Take this crazy team. And the, mostly the whole week was really stressful for me. I was worried that our team would stink. Our team would offend people. I was worried that they would all look to me and think that I had answers, which I didn't. And it was mostly stressful, a big burden. And somewhere in year three, I met this woman named Judy Kinney. I met her before, but I was actually, Judy Kinney was a member. There's two churches on the reservation for the Native Americans. One is the Presbyterian Church, which is the one we work with, and that one's the one that's more broken down and dysfunctional. The other one they call the Pentecostal Church, which is a much better church. She used to be a member of the Presbyterian Church, but she ain't Pentecostal, so she ain't going to the other one. But the Presbyterian Church had gotten so broken down, she stopped going. So she loves Jesus. Judy Kenny loves Jesus. But she hasn't gone to church in more than 10 years. So we go to the reservation. We run this worship specifically for the youth kids. You know who comes to that service? I think she's in her 80s. Judy Kenny comes to the service. And she starts weeping in the service. She's sitting around all these teenagers and little kids. And I'm preaching. And Judy Kenny is crying. And she's got... What I, what I thought was her grandchild, but it turned out to be her great-grandchild. She's got the, there's a little girl named Ke- Shayla. I've known Shayla since she was really little. She's a teenager. She's a snarky teenager now, <laughs> okay? And I deeply love Shayla. But mostly, what I learned was that Judy had prayed for her grandchildren. She had prayed for all the little ones on the reservation. And when she told me about how she'd been praying for years and years on the reservation, you know what I heard? She was saying this to me, and I heard from Jesus saying, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. See, I'm an English ministry pastor. You know what that means? That means I'm the man in between the generations. I understand the wounds of the elderly Korean speaking in my church family, And they are very much in pain if their grandchildren don't know Jesus and don't have eternal life. And so when this beautiful, godly woman is saying this to me, I know exactly what she's talking about. So Gail is just like Judy. And when every time I meet Gail, she is so happy. Her daughter, not as much, <laughs> but she 
says, take the kids. Give them Jesus. So when I heard that Gail died, I knew I got to go to this funeral. Thankfully, this Saturday, it wasn't too hard to rearrange things. I asked Damon, do you want to go? He rearranged his schedule. I asked my kids if they want to go. It was like 16 hours of driving for about two hours of fellowship. And when we embraced Michael, Minnie, and Saeed, Minnie started just crying on my shoulder. I knew we were in the right place. I got a close message. I'm not so holy. I'm a worldly man that wants the no suffering good life. So when Jesus said, You go on a bishop, <laughs> and I said, No, you know what I'm saying? I don't want this cross. I don't want it. I don't want it. I sure as heck don't want to pick it up. But I've been picking up this cross for more than 10 years now. And something very interesting starts to happen. At first, you don't want to do it. And then you don't love them. And then you begin to obey, and then you begin to try to love them, and you don't love them with godliness. You love them with this kind of self-righteous, just do it because you got to do it. And then something strange starts to happen. You give them Jesus, they respond a little, then more. And then you love them, and because you love them, you keep loving them. And then when the Korean speaking congregation stops, I'm held with the bag, so to speak. But I want it. I want this cross. Glad to be on that reservation. When Donna Thomas, who's also a Christian, who's Gail Manriquez's sister, she stood up at this funeral and said, you know what Gail wants for you? To know Jesus. All of you. She, was, she said, all these kids in the reservation, all the young people, like, like babies, they were like elderly, they had all showed up, and she just straight up went right for the jugular and said, she wants Jesus for you. And Donna Thomas, who's like this godly lady, her grandchildren, we've ministered to her grandchildren too. And when she was saying this, I was, I was thinking about Judy Kinney, Donna Thomas, Gail Manriquez, Janice Mitchell. And when she was talking, I heard Jesus says, you're in the right place, Susan. I want to close this message this way. This verse is really scary. Verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, if you're a Christian, that verse should get your attention, okay? Scary. You're ashamed of Jesus. You want to put him to the side to get your no suffering good life. Well, Jesus, when you show up, he's going to be like kind of ashamed of you. But I want to close by saying this. It's actually a, a tremendously kind 
word. You know what Jesus is saying? You want this lame life where you get success, where you think you can avoid all the suffering. And by the way, I won't let you avoid the suffering. I'll, I'll bring it into your life. And then if you ever actually really love anybody, it'll hurt. Let's just try that. Like you never get cancer or whatever. Just love them. There's this, uh, I forget who said this. A, a parent can only be as happy as his least happy child. <laughs> often true. And what Jesus says this to you is he's offering you a cross and saying, pick it up. You know what he's saying? You want a real life? Love people. Love them so deep it hurts. And if you go there, I'll meet you there. You will have my kind of life. You'll have eternal life. He came to love us and to bear our sins and wash of us of our sins. And it hurt him. It cost him. And if you will go to that place, you will find out something of what heavenly life is like. I was standing there. My suit was getting all dusty. That's why I'm wearing these shoes. My good shoes are all dirty. Now, standing there with Jesus, listening to Donna Thomas, I was losing my old life, but I was getting the radical love of God. God said, I'll never let you just have this lame life. There's no way he'll let you have this lame life. If you want to taste the radical love of God, go to where he is. He offers you a cross so you can meet him and share in his life. Big love will hurt. But once you tasted it, you will be okay with holding the bag. <laughs> if Jesus is there, you'll say, thank you. Thank you that you didn't let me have my lame life and you gave me your life. Let's pray. Lord, we want this sad, lame life. We think it's going to be so great. All the evidence is that all the people who seem to get it, it's really not that great. And yet Gail Manriquez, she's not famous, she's not rich, should listen to all the things that people say. She loved. She hurt. She suffered for Christ, to give Christ. And so many people came to honor her. Most of them aren't even Christians. Gail led a life. Your kind of life, Jesus. Lord, I'm not as good as Gail. Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't as good as Judy or Gail. But help us to 
hear your words and to love some people in our life unto the cross. To pay this price and inside that find a tremendous grace, a radical love so big we never thought that life could be so good even though it hurts. Help us to go there. Have the courage to have the faith, the steps to obey you and pick up our cross daily and go there and meet you. Bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, and give us power for this kind of living. In Jesus' name.